0: Hello, I'm uh, Jason Schubert. I am uh, one of the elders here at Harbor. I think my mic's off, so I'll just speak up. Um, uh, we have been working our way through the books of First and Second Samuel as we have been uh, anticipating and hoping and longing for God's coming King and His coming Kingdom. Uh, we're going to be uh, we. Finished up in uh what well, we did the first half of chapter seven last week as we oh I know the problem I'm not on sorry we, there anything there nope, oh well, we'll figure it out so uh we at the the first half of chapter seven last week we saw God gave these incredible promises to David uh, of uh, of a kingdom that was coming uh, that would last forever and that David would have one uh, that descended from him who would rule and reign and sit on the throne of that kingdom forever. Uh, This week what we are going to see is David's response to these great promises of God uh, David's response to uh, God for who he is, what he's done, what he's doing in the hearts and lives of his people. And I think as, as as God's people, we can learn as well from David's response to God's promises and our inclusion in those promises. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses... Eighteen through twenty-nine. Did that do it? There we go. You might want to turn the game down. So we're looking at verses eighteen down through twenty-nine. Uh, So if you would, uh, follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. We'll go down to the end of the chapter. Then King David went in and sat before Yahweh and said, Who am I, O Lord Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this is a small thing in your eyes, O Lord Yahweh, You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord Yahweh. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord Yahweh. Because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness, to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Yahweh God." And you established for yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. And you, O Yahweh, became their God. And now, O Yahweh God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, Yahweh of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord Yahweh, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue before you, uh, forever before you. For you, O Lord Yahweh, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have uh, revealed yourself to us. Uh, We thank you that uh, just as Nathan spoke this promise to David in accordance with your word and your revelation, Uh, we thank You that You continue to speak to Your people through the living and active Word of God. Uh, We pray uh, this morning uh, that You would continue Your work in the world through Your Word, transforming Your people, uh, that we would live in a way that reflects the glory and holiness of Your name, that the nations may come to hope in our God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, here early in the, the, my first point, I have an illustration that everybody's going to participate in. So in, your, uh, in the back of your pew, you should find a little baggie full of pieces of toilet paper. There's some, there should be some kind of scattered on the, the wings as well. If you see any little uh, baggies around with toilet tissue in it, uh, everybody needs one square. Uh, for that later on so go ahead and pass them out now so you're not uh, scrambling to do that later in the uh, in the service so God has given these great promises to David and we are looking at his response, this response of prayer that uh, that he has, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, just as the the David's prayer is broken up, it actually is uh, structurally is in three different sections, and so we want to look just at those three sections of how David has organized this prayer to help direct us in understanding what our response should be to the promises of God and our inclusion in them. We're gonna we're gonna look at, at three things: uh, the the wonder of our inclusion in God's promises. Uh, we're gonna see how we should glorify the God who promises, and then that we should be praying the promises of God back to Him. Uh, so, if you want to keep track of uh, of words, you can do wonder, glorify, and pray. So, first, let's look and see how. A proper response should be wonder. Wonder at our inclusion in the promises of God. Uh, Look at the very beginning of of David's prayer in verse 18. So, after hearing all of this from from David, or from, from Nathan about these promises, then King David went in and sat before Yahweh and said, Who am I, O Lord Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? As David reflects upon God and his, his involvement in his life, David comes to a place of wonder. Who, who am I that you would be at work in my life up to, up to this point? Think about all that we've seen about how God has been involved in the, in the life of David. His provision, his protection, his deliverance from before he even called him to be uh, uh, king and anointed him uh, as, a, as a shepherd, as a child, as a teen, as an adult. David is, is sitting here and thinking, who am I that you that you would be involved in my life, that you would bring me thus far. Even notice how David refers to himself. Throughout, although the narrator refers to him in verse 18 as King David, as David prays, how does he refer to himself over and over? Going on down in, in verse uh, 19. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord Yahweh, for you have spoken also of your servant's house seven times in this prayer david refers to himself as a servant again recognizing why would my lord my king be involved in my life in this way that shows us again david's perspective on god we talked about this before, but in the Bible, when God's uh, name is is referenced, if you see uh, three capital letters for God, as you do here in verse 18, capital G, capital O, capital D, or four capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's referring to the covenant name of God, which we think is pronounced something like Yahweh. Notice here that David, as he's referring to his name, he designates this title to him of Lord Yahweh. That changes in the middle of the the prayer, but right here, David is drawing attention that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is his king and his Lord, and he is the servant, yet he's drawn in wonder to think about this God who would be involved and care about him and his life up to this point shouldn 't surprise us that this would be his perspective on God, for we know as we've seen through 1 Samuel God is the one who is in authority and control over all things in fact in uh, in Hebrews later on uh, in the the New Testament, as the author of Hebrews is reflecting on Jesus, remember, we've seen that Jesus is this forever ruler and heir who will descend from uh, David. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The power, the might, the authority of our God. Everything in the universe is upheld by the word of his power. Everybody, if you have one, take your piece of toilet paper. I want you to hold it up, and I want you to speak to it and say, stay, and then let go of it. What happens? It drops. You and I can't even, with the word of our power, uphold a piece of toilet paper. But yet, our God, as He speaks, and as he moves, everything works according to his will. That means you being here this morning is evident that God has upheld you up to this point. For if he were to withhold his speaking or his power or his care over all things, you and I would cease to exist We are not here because of our workout plans. We are not here because of our diets. We are not here because of our skilled driving. Anything that has come about in our lives, our our vocations, our families, even your hair that you noticed fell out of your, uh, your head this morning and landed in your sink is all according to the sovereign work and will of your God. And yet he is involved and engaged in your life. And our response should be one who says, Why? Who am I that you would care enough to sustain my life and keep me breathing and living and in existence? For I am a creature. I am your humble servant. Yet you care enough to work in this way? That's how we see David responding. But it's, it's not just his continued existence. It's not just God's work in and, uh, and providing and keeping him alive up to this point. There's even more than that. Remember these promises that have been given to David. Look in verse 19. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. Meaning, God's... Preserving David and keeping him alive and God working in his life up to this point has been a small thing. David says there's something even greater. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord Yahweh. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord Yahweh. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have wrought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. As David begins to consider these great promises of God, of his redemptive work to redeem and restore all things through the coming of this forever king, as David reflects on you've included me in these promises, He moves from being able even to say, Who am I and who is my house? To notice now, he can say nothing. What more can David say to you? He's struck speechless as he wonders and seeks to comprehend the fact that this sovereign, powerful God would care enough to involve and redeem and bring Him into these promises. David recognizes there's nothing about me. There's nothing about my house. There is no reason in and of myself that God would include me in these promises. Where does it come from? His free grace and His mercy. God's sovereign purposes. Look in verse 21. We'll pick up in verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord Yahweh, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness. God is fulfilling His covenant promises. God's heart, the One who out of His love, out of His setting His love freely on David and choosing Him, he is involving and bringing David into these promises and using, involving David in redemption, redeeming and saving him, and then using and working through David to further these redemptive promises to bring redemption and rescue and restoration to the entire world. And as David comprehends, thinks about this and seeks to comprehend it, he's struck speechless that this God whom I've rebelled against This God whom we have all created or committed high treason against would not just keep us alive, but out of His free grace and His love and His mercy would set His love upon us. He would save us and bring us into His promises for nothing we have done. David is struck speechless with wonder and so should we. For any other response is to not really grasp and comprehend our God, ourselves, or His promises. Remember, I've told you about this conversation before, because I was doing pre marital counseling with one of our family friends, and I asked this question of, uh, of the couple uh, If you were to stand before God t- tonight, let's say uh, you don't make it home after our, our meeting. And God says to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? And her response was, why wouldn't he? Look, Look at me. Look at my life. I've not killed anybody. I try to do good to others. You see, there's no wonder there. There is no response of who am I. It is look at me. Look at what I've done compared to these other people. But the response we see in Scripture is those who recognize and understand our sin, the holiness of our God, and His sovereign grace and mercy to put Christ in our place to suffer and die and redeem us, our response should be, Who am I? We're struck silent. Why would you work in my life? The chief of sinners... In fact, in the New Testament, as God's authorized spokespeople reflect upon the good news of the gospel—that this forever King would be God who took on flesh, who entered into our world to die in our place—once you do, you understand what that means. This God didn't just keep you alive; He took on flesh to die so that you could live eternally. Who am I? Who am I that He would do this? a servant, the king, a rebel, the perfect one. Listen to what Paul says. You were dead in the trespasses uh, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. We were dead. We were following and after the the prince of this world, pursuing after our own desires and our own pleasures, among whom we once lived in the uh, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is who we were. Dead. Rebels. Our will wasn't free, it was enslaved to sin. And we were in rebellion against our God. But listen, but God, being rich in mercy because of what You've done, because of who You are, because of Your family line? No. Because of the great love with which You loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace You have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast." when we realize that it is not because of our works, it's because of the love and the grace and the mercy and the work of our sovereign king, we must respond in this way. It's not because of me. Who am I? What can I say before a sovereign and gracious God that would redeem and save sinners like that? Therefore, as God's people, whom God has included. As we have looked and hoped and placed our faith in Christ, we are a part of these promises. These promises that God gives to David. It's not just for him. Notice again what he says back up in verse 19. This is instruction for mankind. This sovereign, eternal ruler who comes will bring the offer of salvation and redemption not just to Israel, but to people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That means the response that David is having is the response that you and I should have. That we would wonder at our inclusion in the promises of our good and gracious God. But it's not just wonder at our inclusion, but... Also, the proper response should be one of glorifying. Glorifying the one who makes the promises. We see this response, uh, especially now in 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 our culture with election season coming on. There's lots of people going around making all sorts of promises. Campaign rallies, stops, buses, tours going around from place to place. And as people gather and hear these politicians making these promises, what is their response? To celebrate. To proclaim the greatness of the one who would make these promises in hope that the things that they are promising would be fulfilled. Or maybe if you follow college sports, And when there's a coaching transition and the new coach is coming in, usually it's because the team has been performing poorly and he comes in and makes all these great promises about how he's going to get everybody in shape and within a few years we're going to be back to our uh, superiority in the nation and winning games again and all of a sudden the message boards are full of singing the praises and glorifying this new coach who is making these promises. Our God is even greater than that. For every single promise he makes, he follows through and he completes. In fact, David here responds in glorifying this God who makes promises. Look in in verse 22. Therefore, so we see David, this is that first shift I was telling you about where he moves from uh, wonder to now he's moving to glorifying God. Therefore, you are great, O Yahweh God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Here, David begins to glorify the God who promises because of his superiority. What has he heard with their ears? Remember, the, the end of the last chapter told us that Nathan communicated to David all that God revealed to him. He's heard these promises from God and it's because of the God who makes and speaks these promises that David recognizes and proclaims that you are the superior one. There is no one like you. But how else is His greatness perceived and demonstrated and shown? Look in verse 23. And who is like our people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people? making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. God's superiority is evident in his work of redemption. For here, as David recounts God's work at redeeming and saving Israel, of making them a people for himself, he says in his work of redemption, he made a name for himself. Demonstrating and showing his superiority by conquering Egypt, their Pharaoh, their nation, and demonstrating, I am superior to all of these gods. And David looks at the great work of God in the past and is making these promises in the present. And He can't help but to glorify and celebrate the superiority of His God over all gods who sets Himself apart in His work of redemption. And is that not the same true for us? In the redemption that we have experienced, all that the Exodus pointed to being fulfilled in the work of Christ, whose name is above every name, the glorious and majestic One, the superior One over all creation. We should glorify Him as He's made these promises and kept them. But also we see here David glorifying God for who He's made us as His people. Again, look in verse 23, how David glorifies God because of how His people are special. Who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people. As he continues on, going down, whom you redeemed for yourself, and you established for yourself your people, Israel. Who is like Israel? No nation. That God would say, the creator of all things, that I am going to redeem and save you, bringing you to be my people, saving you from your sin and your enslavement in Egypt, saving you to a relationship with me, and saving you for the proclamation of the goodness of my name through the work that I'm doing in your life. That the creator of all things would identify himself with a people and say, I am your God and you are mine. And I love you. And I'm working on your behalf. It's a special people that God would work and move in their lives. And also notice they're secure. In verse 24. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Yahweh, became their God. His forever people. Nothing will break the promises of this superior God who saves and redeems a special people for Himself and secures their relationship to Him forever. As long as that throne remains and as long as the King that God sends sits on the throne, His people's salvation are secure forever. And that throne and that ruler is Jesus. We need to remember this. God's promises to Israel haven't failed. For it's the heir of David, the Jewish Messiah, who rules over all things. And we, who are Gentiles, have not replaced Israel. We've been engrafted into the one covenant people of God. We are Israel fulfilled, all of those throughout space and time and history, tribe, tongue, people, nation, ethnicity, who are brought into His people, His special people, His secure people. The God who has chosen us to be His, who has redeemed and saved us and said, I am your God and you are my people. Once you weren't a people, but now you are. Once you were an alien and stranger to the promises of God, but now you have been brought in, you have been brought near, and you are mine. This should move our hearts to want to glorify and praise this God who not only has included us in these promises, but as we don't focus so much on the blessings that we miss out on the One who has blessed us that all glory and honor and praise goes to him. In fact, again, if we flip back to that letter of Ephesians, where Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, is writing and recounting these great promises of God, uh, his sovereign grace and his mercy in electing and choosing a people for himself, of applying that redemption to that people, Notice what Paul goes to over and over as he reflects on the God who makes these promises. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, he says that this is what is going on: that God has done all of these works through Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, so that we who are the first the hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Then again in verse 14, who is the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God has done these great works of redemption for His glory. And as we realize and understand that we have been beneficiaries of these promises through faith and trust in Christ, our response should be like that of David that moves from wonder to glorifying this great and superior God who has been kind enough to make these promises and include sinners like you and me who have placed our faith in Christ. Who who is this God? So here we see David's response to God's promises. First, he wonders at the the, the truth and the reality that he's included in the promises. He glorifies the God who has made these promises. And lastly, look at what he does. He prays the promises of God back to God. Look at the the transition again. Again. In verse 25. And now, O Yahweh God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Here, David is, is just speaking back and praying back to God these promises that he has made. Look, it comes up again in verse 29. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord Yahweh, have spoken, and with your blessings sh- uh, shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Here, David's response in light of these promises from this powerful and sovereign and great God is to pray his promises back. Now we might think, does that mean David doesn't trust in God to fulfill his promises? Well, Remember the question that I asked uh, our friend who was going through pre-marriage counseling. Uh, a fellow uh, pastor, uh, friend of mine, was telling me about a similar question that he asked a little girl who was coming up for a membership interview in their church. And he asked her the very same question. <clears throat> if you were to die and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom, what would you say? You know what her answer was? Because you promised. You see, she recognizes the God who has made the promise. And she's saying, because you have said as I trust in Jesus, I'm going to believe you. And so I'm just speaking back the promise that you made, demonstrating and showing my confidence that you keep your word and you will fulfill what you have spoken to your people. And we see David doing that here. Speaking the promises of God back to him. It's as if David is saying, I'm going to continue to ask this of you because you have promised it. It's actually interesting as we look at these, uh, the, the last part of David's prayer here, we actually could, could structure and break it down similar to the beginning of, of the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught us. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is just modeling the same thing to us of praying back those, those, those prayers and those promises. Uh, notice, as we look at how David is praying that the Lord's name would be hallowed or demonstrated and shown to be holy. Look in verse 26. "...and your name will be magnified forever, saying, Yahweh of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you." Here, David is saying, and he knows that because God's kingdom is, has, he's graciously united it to David and his throne, as David, as his promise to David is fulfilled, God's name will continue to be magnified. It'll be demonstrated and shown to be holy because David's looking to the forever one who will come. David is saying, all that you've done in the Exodus will be surpassed when you make a name for yourself through the work that this one will do. And I am praying that you would fulfill your promises. Why? Because my focus is on your glory, the glory of your name, that your name would be demonstrated and shown to be holy, set apart, unique, superior, superlative to all in creation. But he also prays, that God's kingdom will come. Because it's actually through praying these promises back to our God and as He works through the prayers of His people that His kingdom does come. So Jesus told us, your kingdom come. Look in verse 26. Again, He says, Yahweh is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. And then again in verse 29, as David is praying that God would bless His house and your servant that they would continue before Him forever. For you, O Lord Yahweh, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. You see, the house of David is the kingdom of God because those who are under the rule and who have given their allegiance to the Davidic heir, which we know will be David, are those who are part of that kingdom. And ultimately, God's kingdom will be demonstrated to be over all things. David here is saying, establish my, my throne and my house and my kingdom forever because it's your kingdom. And I long to see your kingdom come and the truths and the realities of it to be demonstrated throughout the world. And lastly, your will be done. Again, that's been the constant theme of this passage in verse 17, remember, we were reminded that all that, David, that Nathan communicated to David was according to the vision that God had given, David, or given Nathan. And then over and over in this passage, in verse 25, David says, "...confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, and do as you have spoken." Then in verse 27, again, he emphasizes what it is that God has, has said You made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Why is David able to pray this prayer? Because God is the one who has spoken it. God has revealed what his will is by clearly communicating and saying, my will and my purpose is to establish this Heir from Your throne forever who will bring about the redemption and restoration of all things. And so David is praying back, Yes, God, Your will be done that You have revealed to me and to Your people. For I long for Your kingdom to come and for Your name to be demonstrated and shown as holy. We, as God's people, not just from the the model of David, But from David's heir, who would come later, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the God-man, who sits on the throne of David and the throne of our God forever, has called and told us, this is how I want you to pray. Praying God's promises back to Him. Confident of the One who has made these promises and included you in them, confident and humble that God would use the prayers of His people to accomplish His purposes and bring about His work in the world. As, as God's people, when we realize the implications of the Gospel, that, that these prayers are only heard because Jesus, our representative, stands before our God And that is how we have access to our King. We should be amazed even more and wonder that God would include us in His promises, glorifying the God who would make such promises, and then responding in trust and humility, praying these promises back for the glory and honor of our God, the spread of His kingdom, and that more people would be brought in and included in these promises. This is the good news of the gospel that these promises continue to, to move forward because Jesus Christ rules and reigns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus, our King, is on the throne. Who are we? Who are we that we could even dare to call ourselves sons and daughters of God. But we do it because you have done it. You've given us those promises and you have told us through your work, not ours, that we have the right to be called the children of God. May we rest in your love. May we rest in your promises as we long for and await the fullness and coming of your kingdom.